0: إن هذا القرآن يهدي للتي هي أقوى ويبشر المؤمنين ويبشر المؤمنين الذين يعملون الصالحات أن لهم أجرا كبيرا أَمْ يَقُولُونَ افْتَرَاهُ بَلْ هُوَ الْحَقُّ مِن رَّبِّكَ لِتُنذِرَ قَوْمًا مَّا أَتَاهُمْ مِنْ نَّذِيرٍ مِّن قَبْلِكَ لَعَلَّهُمْ يَهْتَدُونَ سَوَّاهُ وَنَفَخَ فِيهِ مِن رُّوحِهِ وَجَعَلَ لَكُمُ السَّمْعَ وَالْأَبْصَارَ وَالْأَفْئِدَةَ قَلِيلًا مَّا تَشْكُرُونَ وَقَالُوا أَإِذَا ضَلَلْنَا فِي الْأَرْضِ أَإِنَّا لَفِي خَلْقٍ جَدِيدٍ ربنا كسور اوسهم عند ربهم ربنا ابصرنا وسمعنا فرجعنا ربنا ابصرنا وسمعنا فرجعنا نعمل صالحا انا موقنون ولو شئنا لأتينا كل نفس هداها ولكن حق القول مني لأملا أن جهنم لأملأن جهنم من الجنة والناس أجمعين فذوقوا بما نسيتم لقاء يومكم هذا انا نسيناكم وذوقوا عذاب الخلد بما كنتم تعملون ما كانوا يعملون أفمن كان مؤمنا كمن كان فاسقا لا يَسْتَوُونَ أما الذين آمنوا وعملوا الصالحات فلهم جنات المأوى نزلا بما كانوا يعملون وأما الذين فسقوا فمأواهم النار كلما أرادوا أن يخرجوا منها أعيدوا فيها وقيل لهم وقيل لهم ذوقوا عذاب النار الذي كنتم به تكذبون ولنذيقنهم من العذاب الادنى دون العذاب الاكبر لعلهم يرجعون ومن اظلم وَمَنْ ذُكِّرَ بِآيَاتِ رَبِّهِ ثُمَّ أَعْرَضَ عَنْهَا إِنَّا مِنَ الْمُجْرِمِينَ مُنْتَقِمُونَ وَلَقَدْ آتَيْنَا مُوسَى الْكِتَابَ فَلَا تَكُنْ فِي مِرْيَةٍ مِنْ لقاء وجعلناه هدى لبني اسرائيل وجعلنا منهم ائمه يهدون بامرنا لما صبروا وكانوا باياتنا يوقنون إن ربك هو يفصل بينهم يوم القيامة فيما كانوا فيه يختلفون أولم يهدي لهم كم أهلكنا من قبلهم من القرون يمشون في مساكنهم إن في ذلك لآيات أفلا يسمعون أولم يروا أنا نسق الماء إلى الأرض الجرز فنخرج به زرعا تأكل منه أنعامهم وأنفسهم أفلا يبصرون
1: As-salamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Praise be to Allah who created everything in pairs. He it is who has blessed us with and guided us to Islam. We worship Him and it is His help we seek for all of our affairs. And it is His revelation that we turn to, to be our guide and our Imam. He sent to us a messenger, a prophet who for his ummah cares. So it is upon him that we send our salat and our continuous salam Today, insha'Allah ta'ala, we're going to be doing three surahs and we begin with Surat Ar-Rum. And Surat Ar-Rum, the Romans, is a late Makki surah. And in fact, this surah we can date very precisely because it is the only reference in the entire Quran to a specific political event that was contemporaneous to the revelation of the Quran that is outside of the Arabian Peninsula. And it is also one of the crystal clear references to the genre of Quranic predictions. What does the Quran predict? A number of things, but this is number one on the list. And to understand this story, the uh, Quran was revealed uh, obviously in the uh, 7th century uh, CE, and it was at this time frame that two major superpowers, the Byzantium or the Byzantine Empire, which was the remnants or the continuation of the ancient Roman Empire, and the Sassanid or the Persian Empire. And during the time frame of the Prophet being in Mecca and also in Medina, there was a massive war going on between the Sassanids and between the Byzantines. And this was a series of wars that took place between 602 to 628 uh, CE. And of course to uh, reference this, so the Hijrah takes place 622 CE. So the Hijrah is 622, this is the first year of the Hijrah. And these series of wars 602 to 628, so all of this is going on. and this series of wars that lasted two and a half decades was one of the most devastating uh, uh, the series of wars between these two superpowers. And in fact, the Sassan is the Persian empire. They gained more ground than they had ever gained in their history. And during one especially advantageous time, they conquered much of what is now Syria. Egypt, they even conquered what is now Turkey. Back then it would be called Anatolia. Turkey is a modern uh, name after the Turks came. So Anatolia is uh, is what they conquered which is modern Turkey. And in the year 614 CE, May to be more precise, May 614. The city of Jerusalem itself was conquered by the Persians. So the Persians, the Sassanids controlled Jerusalem and they controlled Damascus and they were on the borders of the Arabian Peninsula. This was unprecedented and it was felt that the Roman Empire or the Byzantine Empire would be collapsed completely. They would have completely been overrun. Never before had the Persians been so victorious Gotten to the very hearts of the Byzantine Empire. And this conquest of Jerusalem was a conquest that the Prophet was preaching in Mecca at that time frame. And the Quraysh started mocking the Muslims that, hey, your colleagues, the Christians, because Christians and Muslims, they believe in the same God. And Christians and Muslims have a common heritage of. Tawheed and Risal and Akhira, overall, obviously there's many differences, but overall they belong to what is called the Abrahamic uh, uh, traditions. And so the Quraysh made fun of the Muslims because they said, your team has lost. And the Quraysh felt more of an affinity with the uh, Persians with the Sassanids because the Sassanids are Zoroastrians they were Zoroastrians and uh, their version of paganism and the Qurayshi version of paganism was more uh, comprehensible to each other than the whole paradigm of prophets and going to heaven and hell and he- all of that that was a thing that they didn't quite you know understand and so the Muslims sympathized with the Christians at this time frame and the Quraysh sympathized with the uh, Persians with the Zoroastrians so when the Zoroastrians when the Sassanids won over the Christians, the Quraysh were rubbing it that, oh, you know, your team lost and that happened. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then revealed this chapter right after the conquest of Jerusalem by the Sassanids over the Byzantium or the Byzantine. And the notion was that that's it, the Byzantine empire is going to collapse. So this is the time frame. So we can date this pretty precisely to around the summer of 614 CE. This is when this surah came down. And this would be around the seventh year of the da'wah. So the hijra is still four or five years away. So this is like mid to mid late of the Meccan era. And the surah begins with some of the most powerful verses uh, that are just so beautiful. The Romans have been defeated. This is the Jerusalem conquest that took place. غُلِبَتِ الرُّومِ في al الْأَرْضِ In a nearby land, Jerusalem. But now comes the prediction. But following this defeat, they shall be, notice the future tense, سيغلبون. They shall be victorious, victorious in a few years by the permission of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is an affair that Allah has decided from begin from the beginning to the end. And on that day, on the day that in a few years they will be followed up by being victorious. Allah says سنين, that in a few years, this defeat will be followed by a victory because all matters belong to Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Taala. The Romans will be victorious over the Persians in a few years. And on that day, the day that they are victorious, on that day, the believers themselves will be rejoicing at another uh, victory. And so SubhanAllah, in this verse, we are promised two Predictions. Number one, the Romans will recover and they shall attack the Persians and regain that land and even do more than this. And number two, the day that that happens, it will be a day that Muslims themselves will be rejoicing. And SubhanAllah, a few years after the revelation of this verse, uh, the uh, the, em- the emperor Heraclius, the young emperor, this is the same emperor that the Prophet corresponded with and he sent, and Abu Sufyan had a conversation with that same emperor Heraclius. That Heraclius, uh, he had a resounding victory over the Persian uh, general uh, Shahar Baraz, Shahar Baraz. So the Persian general Shahar Baraz and the Heraclius emperor on the other side, that Heraclius launched a counter offensive and he reconquered much of Anatolia, all of Anatolia, he expelled the Persians from their land and the Persians had to go back to their lands. and contemporaneous to that event in a land far, far away, in the central Arabia, in the in the province of Yathrib of Medina, in the land, in the plains of Badr, another battle was taking place, much smaller number wise than the battle of the Persians of the Romans, but a battle that was to be far more instrumental in global history and human history and Islamic history than the battle of the Persians of the Romans. And that, that is of course the battle that took place on the 17th of Ramadan in the plains of Badr, the great battle of Badr, the same day that the Muslims were victorious in Badr, the same day Heraclius was victorious over Shahar Baraz uh, up north in the lands of, uh, of uh, al sham And so SubhanAllah, Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala predicted, obviously we believe this firmly and the Quran is actually very clear on this point. And as I said, even the language, it is talking about a future event. And it is even said that Abu Bakr Siddiq that he made a bet. This is not. This is not gambling because he knew that it would uh, uh, come to fruition. That one of the Quraysh said, "If you really believe this, I will bet you so many camels." You know that uh, the 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 uh, people are going to lose. The Romans are going to lose because that was the situation. And because this is not a gambling, because it was a certainty. And because the Quraysh thought that this is not something certain, so Abu Bakr Siddiq actually uh, gained uh, financial gain because of this. So Allah Subhanahu wa Taala mentions in verse number six. Wa'ad This is the promise of Allah, and Allah never breaks His promise. So this is one of those beautiful uh, stories of the Quran that clearly indicates the miraculous nature of the Quran from the mechanism of uh, predicting the future. Now the next verse, by the way, is actually a very powerful verse that we should pause at verse number seven. That Allah Subhanahu wa Taala criticizes uh, certain uh, certain people of mankind. They only know the outer aspects of this world but they are totally heedless of the hereafter. And subhanAllah, Allah does not criticize knowledge of this world. Allah criticizes a superficial knowledge that does not lead to spirituality. The knowledge of this world in and of itself is not something that is blameworthy. It is good to have knowledge of this world. Go ahead and get your, you know, your education, your masters, your PhDs in nuclear physics and whatnot. Alhamdulillah, good for you. But Make sure that that knowledge is channeled. يَعْلَمُونَ مِّنَ They know the outer intricacies of this dunya. Look at how even Allah put it, the outer intricacies. They don't even think about the deeper meaning. They know the outer. They can go to the moon and come back. They can calculate the speed of light. They can do this and that. But of what good is it? وَهُمْ عَنِ الْآخِرَةِ When they haven't thought about the uh, hereafter. And this verse, by the way, on a personal note, I would uh this was one of the verses that motivated me I, I had I had a degree in chemical engineering and I would be uh, uh working at Dow Chemical solve, solving polymer uh calculations on a, anyways a long story there but uh this verse would kept on kept on resonating with me, that uh, personally it inspired me to to have a career change and alhamdulillah, I never look back. Not saying that uh, obviously careers are all good and halal, but different verses impact people in different manners. And for me, this verse was a very uh, seminal verse in my own life and my own trajectory. So Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Taala mentions that people who know the outer aspects of this dunya, they had better also take care of the akhirah. Otherwise we seek Allah's refuge, but this verse might apply to them as well. The Surah then proceeds to mention certain aspects of the day of judgment before reminding us some of the most powerful miracles of nature around us. It's a passage that is very popular amongst reciters of the Quran, uh, verse 17 uh, to uh, 30, verse 17 to 30, that Allah Subh'anaHu Wa taala says, glorify Allah when you go to sleep at night and when you rise up in the morning, to him belongs the praise in the heavens and on earth and in the evening and when you reach the midday. He is the one who brings the living out of the dead and the dead out of the living and he revives the land after it has died so too you shall be resurrected and then Allah begins a series of lists وَمِن آيَاتِهِ وَمِن آيَاتِهِ وَمِن آيَاتِهِ of his miracles of his signs so read through this list of his miracles he created you from dust and lo and behold you are all humans everywhere in this world of his miracles of his signs this that verse that is always quoted at times of marriage or any talk that is given about marriage. This is that verse over here, that of his miracles and signs is that he has created from amongst you, for you, spouses, mates, so that you can dwell with them and find tranquility in them. And he is the one that has placed that love and that compassion between you. In this are signs for people who reflect. And of the signs is his creation of the heavens and earth and the diversity of your skin colors and the differences in your languages. In all of this are signs for people who understand. And of his signs is that you sleep by night and the day you pursue his bounty. In this are signs for, for those who listen and on and on, beautiful series of signs that we take for uh, granted. And this surah as well, and the Surah as well, it has some key theological verses that we really do need to pause at. Of them, a very deep verse, verse number 30, that فَأَقِمْ وَجْهَكَ hanifa, Devote yourself to the pure religion, فِطْرَةَ اللَّهِ الَّتِي فَطَرَ الناس عليها. This religion is the natural instinct or the predisposition that Allah has predisposed mankind upon. There is no changing the creation of Allah, this is the true religion but most people do not understand this verse is the w- most explicit verse in the quran about the concept of the fitrah and this is a very very key concept in my phd i have over a 100 pages dedicated to the concept of the fitrah and this really is what separates islam from all other faith traditions because somebody says I was born a Muslim because my parents were Muslim and my neighbor is born a Christian because my my neighbor's parents were Christian. So it's just a matter of luck. We just happen to have been born in different ways. How do I know my religion is true? If every single person had to go and go go through every single faith tradition, that would be impossible. So it's just a matter of of basically coincidence that I happen to be born a Muslim and that's why I'm a Muslim. No, that is not the case. The fitrah is what really changes the entire paradigm. And that is because we firmly believe that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala placed in every baby without any exception, whether they were born in this household or that household. Every single newborn has the fitra. And the fitra, call it an intuitive compass, call it a psychological intuition that knows truth from falsehood, that knows haq from batil, that knows tawheed from shirk. And Islam and the fitra fit perfectly together. Islam and the fitra are compatible. So when the child is born upon the fitrah, and then is nourished in Islam, everything is fully, perfectly synchronized in the child's soul, in the ruh, in the spirituality. The comfort that will come, the psychological certainty that will come is something that only the Muslim who's born into that faith uh, knows now. The one who does not have the religion of Islam and all child, children are born in the fitrah, when they grow up, their fitrah will not match with their religion. Their fitrah is just gonna find something awkward, doesn't make sense. Talk to any convert, anybody who's converted, talk to them. They're gonna say, just something wasn't right. And when I heard about Islam, it just made complete sense. It just clicked with me. What was that clicking? What was that complete make sense? It is the fitrah attaching with Islam. And this is a deeper topic and I have given advanced topics and basic topics, you can find them online. But this is the verse about the uh, fitra, which is very, very important. We don't need to go searching for the truth. Our psychological, spiritual intuition knows Islam is the truth. Why go searching for true north when our heart is telling us this is the north. We know what it is. We know the Salat al-Mustaqim, And Alhamdulillah, this is the blessing of the uh, fitrah. Uh, another key theological verse, this surah is very deep in theology. Another key theological verse is verse number 41. Verse number 41 that Allah Azza wa Jal says, ظهر الفساد في والبحر بما كسبت أيدي الناس ليذيقهم بعض الذي عملوا يرجعون That fasad, and fasad is evil and corruption, pain and suffering, all types of evil are fasad. Fasad has spread throughout the land and in the seas because of what people themselves have done in order that they may taste some of what their own actions have caused and so that they can come back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now, this is not the only verse about the concept of evil, but it is definitely one of the most significant verses in the entire Quran. And the reality here, of course, the concept is a very deep one as usual, We cannot go into a lot of detail, but the issue comes here that a lot of people, they don't understand why there is pain and suffering, why there is evil in this world. And in fact, if you look at the rise of this new trend called new age atheism, their primary contentions with religion and with God is the existence of pain and suffering. And they keep on bringing up this issue that if there was a powerful God, a loving God, a merciful God, why would he allow all of this pain and suffering and and, and and, and, you know, all of these pandemics, what, how can we explain all of this? And so, this is a very deep topic. The fancy term is theodicy, like how do you reconcile belief in God with belief in evil? How do you, you know, um, relate the existence of evil with an all powerful, all merciful God? But this verse that we're looking at right now is one of the most significant verses in this entire uh, concept. And it tells us that Allah Azza wa Jal does not love evil, that Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala does not love evil evil, but rather that there is a wisdom, that there is a worldly wisdom, and there is a spiritual wisdom. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says this evil, first and foremost, ascribe it to yourselves. Bima ascribe it to yourselves. The realm of the angels does not have evil. The realm where the angels inhabit, that is not the realm of evil. Evil is coming because of our own transgressions. Secondly, there is a worldly wisdom to get a taste of our own medicine, as you have done unto others, so it shall be done unto you. As you have corrupted others, as you have hurt other people, as you have destroyed nature, things are gonna happen and bite you as well. is the saying in Arabic, as you do unto others, it will be done unto you. And then thirdly, there is a spiritual wisdom as well, in some verses over here, so that they can come back to Allah, so that they can rediscover. So the concept of evil, we can say that Allah does not love evil, but Allah loves the good that righteous people generate to respond to the evil. That is one of the main wisdoms of evil. The good that is coming to, to fight against evil, or the good that comes to, uh, to, to make us understand and comprehend that, hey, we, we better correct our act, we better you know be better people. The good that comes and is formed at times of evil, that is what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, loves. And by the way, I have to say this here that, you know, those people who end up rejecting God and choosing atheism because they don't understand the wisdom of evil and pain and suffering, subhanAllah, how foolish is that? That firstly, not only by rejecting God, do they still have the problem of evil, they still haven't solved it, but secondly, they create an infinitely longer list of existentially more complex questions for which they have no answer. So rather than trying to solve one problem and failing, they end up creating a far more longer list of far more complex problems of the meaning of life and the meaning of death and why we are here and who created us and how we should live. They have no answer to any of these questions because in their arrogance, they thought they they didn't understand one question and one answer, so they might as well reject God. So what they have done here is that Not only have they denied the existence of God in their minds, they've actually denied the wisdom of their own existence. They have no purpose to live. And so those people shall get their fate that they uh, deserve unless they are guided in this world. So the Surah concludes by uh, mentioning the miracles of the creation and then reminding the Muslims to be patient and to not be uh, dissuaded by those who are mocking and making fun of them. Uh, The next Surah we're gonna do is Surah Luqman. And Surah Luqman is a mid to late Makki Surah as well. And it is of course, a surah that is named after the person of Luqman, the persona of Luqman. And uh, Luqman most likely was a righteous man. He was not a prophet. Uh, This is the only Surah that mentions Luqman. As of yet, in our chronological comings throughout the Quran, this is the shortest Surah that we will be covering as of yet. It's four pages long only, 34 verses. So as you read the Quran from Fatiha after Fatiha, as you come along, so Luqman is only four pages. It's a relatively short uh, Surah. And Surah Luqman, it begins by describing the righteous, by characterizing them as those who observe the rituals, by criticizing those who turn away and purchase lahwal hadith. And lahwal hadith means all types of vain and useless matters, be it entertainment or be it something that is sinister and evil, anything that is a wastage of time that prevents people from the worship of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that is something that is worthy of uh, criticism. And of course, Uh, This story, it is famous for the story of Luqman from verses 12 to 19. And Luqman, as we said, was a righteous man. He was actually from Africa uh, and uh, Allah has preserved his wisdom for us, that there was beautiful advice that Luqman gave to his son. And uh, this shows us as well, that of the sign of wisdom is to prioritize one's family and to preach to them uh, in a manner that is beneficial and a manner that will, be, that will truly preserve the legacy of one's faith. You cannot be wise if you don't care about protecting your religion for your own uh, children. And this is a beautiful story. Please read the story, understand and uh, the mechanism that Luqman is using. Notice, for example, that he's beginning the entire preaching by bili- by reminding them to have faith in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Iman in Allah is the foundation. It is the building block. It is what everything else is, is built upon. If your Iman in Allah is strong, your morality, your manners, your rituals, your akhlaq all of it will flourish. And if your Iman in Allah is not strong, well then the rest of that building is not going to flourish as well. And of course, within the context of this advice, we also have the advice of being good to one's parents. And notice here the change of tense that Luqman is speaking to his son uh, in the entire section, but only that one section that talks about the rights of the parents, Allah takes over. And Allah says, we are the ones who told mankind to be good to their parents. Even though Luqman is also so speaking. But why did Allah Azza wa take over the tents here? Why? Because to demonstrate that obedience to parents is not something that Luqman said because he's a father. It's not, there's not some type of tangible benefit that Luqman is getting. Rather, it is from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And even if your parents, Allah says in this uh, surah, even if your parents try to force you to do something wrong, don't obey them, but in this world, accompany them with goodness and with kindness. Even if they're trying to force you to commit shirk in this world, try your best to accompany them in a positive uh, manner and accompany them with ma'rufa, which means uh, according to the culture and time, you treat them in the manner that they deserve. Luqman also teaches his son accountability in front of Allah. SubhanAllah, he's instilling in his son God consciousness. Wherever you are, no matter what you do, no matter where you are, Allah Azza wa Jal is watching you and Allah will know of your uh, deeds. And of course, Luqman advises his son to establish the uh, prayer and to give charity and to be a role model, wherever he is, that he should be preaching the truth, commanding the good, forbidding the evil. And all the while doing so, with utmost humility. Verses 18 to 19. وَلَا خَدَّكَ لِلنَّاسِ And do not uh, treat people with arrogance, nor walk haughtily on this earth. Verily, Allah does not love the arrogant show-offs, and be moderate in your stride, and lower your voice, truly the most repulsive of all voices is the braying of the donkey. You know, the loud voice of the donkey. That when you're speaking with people, speak with them in a gentle and in a soft manner. Do not raise your voice and yell and scream at them. Notice much of these sections are about akhlaq and about humility and modesty. And I say this over and over again, the Quranic message is so clear. And yet sadly, it is truly sad that so many people who think they have discovered faith that they treat people of whom they presume to have little or no faith, they treat them with such harshness and with such crudeness that as I said in a previous lecture, they turn people off. And it truly amazes me which book are they reading and which sunnah are they studying because this is not the message of the Quran and it is definitely not the seerah that we see in our Prophet SallAllahu Alaihi Wasallam. So I say this especially to those folks who presume themselves to be religious, do not become a temptation and a trial for other people to abandon religion because of your fault false sense of piety, because it is a false sense of piety. If you are treating people arrogantly, even if they are sinners, I swear to you, your arrogance against them is a bigger sin than the personal sins that they're committing between them and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Your feeling of arrogance, your feeling of contempt, it is a bigger sin than the personal vices that they might be committing in their private lives, as long as it's not the vice of shirk, as we know. Uh, The point being that, uh, again, Luqman's advice is full of uh, humility and good manners to his son. The next uh, page and a half. It is a summary of some of the powerful blessings that Allah Subhanahu wa Taala uh, has given us. And this this section begins verse twenty. That Allah Subhanahu wa Taala has uh, given us so many blessings. Adam tara An haven't you seen that Allah Subhanahu wa Taala has subjected for you alakum all that is in the heavens and the earth and alaykum ni'amahu and He has immersed you or Lavished you with his blessings, <inaudible> those that you see and those that are. Hidden. So what should we do with all of these blessings? So Allah Azza wa Jalla says, وهو, وهو Whoever submits his face to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and he uh, he is charitable, he does good, then that is the person who has held on to the firm handhold. So the point being, with all of these blessings, what do we do? Yuslim Look at Allah is talking about the Islam of the face. And this really demonstrates the meaning of the word Islam. The technical meaning of Islam is submission to Allah. Now some say Islam means peace. That is not incorrect. Islam does have the connotation of peace, but the real technical meaning of Islam is submission. And we can say through submission, one will find peace. That is definitely the case as well. Uh, but the word for, for peace in Arabic is of course, salam and other uh, conjugates. Islam, the conjugate Islam, it actually means to submit to humble oneself in front of. And it is true that the root for peace is also the root for Islam, that is true. But the word Islam, as I said, it means uh, submission. And this verse clearly proves this. Woman, Yuslim, slim, Whoever submits his face to Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala. And of course, Allah talks about the submission of the face because the person who subjects, who uh, submits his face, ipso facto submits the entire body. When your face is lowered, you are truly demonstrating humility, which is why the sajda is the ultimate posture of Islam. You have taken that which is the most noble and put it on the floor where your feet trample. You would not do that for anyone, for anything, but you would do it when your creator asks you. And that is why the sajda is the most beloved of all postures to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The surah concludes, uh, verses thirty-two to thirty-four, that Ya'yuun nas ittaqurabbakum. That oh people, be conscious of your Lord. tajzi nafsun an nafsin shay'a. The surah dealt with the father and son. The surah dealt with families. Now Allah is saying, beware of the day that. No soul can avail another soul. And no child, uh, can avail his parents, nor can a parent avail a child. Inna wa'dallahi haqqun. Verily, the promise of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is true. فَلَا يَغُرَنَّكُمُ الْحَيَاةُ الدُّنْيَّا وَلَا يَغُرَنَّكُمْ بِاللَّهِ الْغُرُورِ Therefore, let not the life of this world deceive you, and let not the big deceiver, Shaitan himself, deceive you. We have two major temptations or enemies. The first of them is this world and all that is in it of wealth and money and shahwat and desires. This is this world that is the cause of temptation. And the second, it is shaitan. And shaitan uses this world. The two of them tag team, the two of them come together. The world in and of itself is not evil. You can utilize it for good. But if the deceiver comes in and changes the reality for you, then it is possible this dunya can be a deceiver for you. So Allah is saying, be careful, don't be tempted by this world that you make it your end all and be all. Then Allah Azzawajal says, famous verse 34, our Prophet commented on this verse. He said, five are the things, he literally picked his fingers up, he said five, he pointed, five are the things that none know except Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then he quoted Surah Luqman, verse 34 Inna Allaha indahu ilmus saa in one version he counted one by one Inna Allaha indahu ilmus saa wa yunziru al-ghayth wa ya'lam ma fil arham wa ma tadri nafsun ma da taksibu ghadan wa ma tadri nafsun bi ayyi ardhin tamut Inna Allaha 'alimun khabir that with Allah Azzawajal Alone is the knowledge of the day of judgment. No creation knows when will the day of judgment come. No creation, not even the angel Jibreel, not even the angel Israfil who has assigned the trumpet. No creation knows. Number two, he sends down the rain. No creation knows when it will rain, how much it will rain, until Allah tells the angels to send the rain down. Number three, he knows what the wombs contain. And the meaning here of course is not only does he know when a child will be born when will a person who's struggling to have a child when will they be blessed with a child but also what is the reality of that child what will happen to this child the future of that child the wombs contain the child and their destiny and so no one knows this and no soul knows what will happen tomorrow the future is something that only Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows and no soul knows in what land it will die. Forget what time it will die. In what land it will die? That Subhanallah! How many times have we ourselves come across or heard of a story of somebody who lived in his entire life somewhere, then for whatever reason some issue came and he decided to take a quick trip somewhere, and it was the trip that was his death, Subhanallah. So Allah Azzaaj had willed that that person would die over there, and. No one else would know, and Allah Jal created the circumstances to cause that person to go there. Wa ma bi أَرْضٍ تَمُوتِ No soul knows in what land they will die. Indeed, Allah Subhanahu wa Taala is Alim and is Khabir. So this is Surah Luqman, a very, uh, a very uh, beautiful short surah, four pages in length. The final surah that we will do today is Surah Sajda. Surah Sajda, and Surah Sajda is a surah that most of us should be familiar with, because it is a surah that our Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam would recite regularly in the Fajr Salah. Of the day of Jumu'ah, so on the days of Jumu'ah in the Fajr Salah, our Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam would typically recite Surah Sajda in the first Rak'ah, and Surah Sajda is called Sajda because it is one of the Surahs that has a Sajda in it, and uh, because the, the the verses that mention the Sajda are especially powerful, so it is called Surah as Sajda and the theme of the surah is very clear from the beginning to the end by the way it's a very very short surah so this is the shortest surah that we have dealt with after the fatiha up till now and it is only uh three pages only 30 verses after this a number of surahs will go back to our mid-sized 10 10 11 pages or so and then we're going to start you know cutting down so inshallah in 3 4 days we're going to be condensing more than three surahs right now we're sticking with three surahs for every um episode so surah sajda is only three pages, 30 verses, and the theme of it is the journey of our life. From the very beginning of the beginning, from the beginning of time, um, throughout our entire life, up until the end of times and the day of judgment and heaven and hell. And so what a beautiful surah to recite Every single Friday to remind the Muslims of the reality of this life, to remind the Muslims of where uh, we are, where we have come from, and where we are uh, heading. And the beginning of the surah, Allah Subhanahu wa Taala mentions that He has created uh, the earth in six stages. في ستة أيام. And the word ayyam, uh, it should not be translated as days, meaning 24 hours. Uh, the word ayam here should be translated as stages because what yawm means is a segment of time. And later on, we call it a day. And so whenever Allah says he created the earth in six uh, ayam, it doesn't literally mean the days that we are thinking of as a day. It means in six uh, stages. And Allah Azza wa Jal also mentions right here in, in this section that he created man from ثم جعل نسله من من so he created the first man from clay, and then from that he create he made his descendants from سلالة من ما إمهين. سلالة means an extract. And ma'in in maheen means a fluid that is not considered to be noble. It is a humble fluid. It is a fluid that you don't really, you know, think about in a positive manner. And this is very true. The fluids that emerge from the male and the female, they are not things that are considered to be in and of themselves uh, noble. And that is our origin. Now this verse here, and again, these are one of those juicy tandems. I really cannot go into, but I'm just gonna reference here. And I've given other lectures, Alhamdulillah, I can say this now, but that when I'm doing the tafsir every time there's Important topic. Typically, there are other lectures that you can reference of myself and other uh, speakers as well. Uh, the, this this verse over here is actually very explicit that the first creation, the first father of ours, our father Adam, was created from. Uh, from tin, from uh, clay. Uh, and tin means a mixture of, of water and sand. Then, from that first person, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala caused multiple generations to come from the extract of a humble fluid and then, thumma sawahu, and then He fashioned that fluid. And He blew the soul into Him. And He gave you hearing and seeing and thoughts. What I'm trying to to say here is that the notion uh, of uh, our father Adam <clears throat> not being a real entity or that Adam not having been created by Allah directly from the teen, from the clay, it is a notion that we cannot really find support from within the Quran whatsoever. So I have spoken about this in longer details in other uh, topics that yes, there are issues that uh, the what we know about evolution does raise with the Quran. But one thing we cannot compromise on is that Adam was our father, and his spouse Hawa was our mother. And from the two of these, all of us have come, that is a Quranic fact. And Adam salam is not some name given to some other biological organism that descended from other species. Allah is very clear, this is one of the verses. There is a distinction between the creation of Adam and the rest of mankind. Adam is atypical. Adam is not fitting into the other creations scale and model and I have given other uh, talks about this reality with the caveat that indeed this is a difficult topic and ongoing research still needs to be done. And I don't think we have reached a definitive conclusion in terms of how we reconcile what we know of science with what is very explicit in the Quran. Uh, We have to be clear that this is an area that definitely requires more uh, research and it requires more than just Quranic specialists. It does require Muslims who believe in the Quran but who are also experts in evolutionary biology, uh, Muslims who know their their biology and their science and who also know what the Quranic ideals are and see if we can reconcile because we firmly believe, dear Muslims, we firmly believe that an actual incontrovertible fact will never contradict an explicit verse or an authentic saying of our Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, truly that is just not possible because they both are from Allah. Science is Allah's creation and the Quran is Allah's speech and Allah's creation and Allah's speech will never contradict each other. So we need to work out a a mechanism that we can take both into account. But my point is that uh, we have to be very clear that the Quran does not allow us to believe. If you believe in the Quran, you cannot believe that uh, Adam Alayhi salam did not exist. You cannot believe that Adam Alayhi salam was created from, or uh, was the biological child of another entity uh, because the Quran is very clear. And this is one of those verses. Back to our uh, section of the Surah. And so Allah also notice here, by the way, an, an interesting point. And again, this series is a bird's eye view. So much can be done if we were to analyze. I'll give you just one simple example. Notice in this section, go read this 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 section right now, that Allah is saying that, then he fashioned him and he blew the soul into him. And then he created him from an extraction of fluid. So Allah is speaking in the third person. Then Allah switches over and speaks directly to us that then I gave you hearing, and I gave you seeing, and I gave you intelligence. Notice the change in pronouns When we were in the wombs of our mothers, Allah is speaking about us in the third person because we didn't have comprehension. Now that we are up and about, we're alive, we're here. Now that we're walking, talking, Allah is speaking to us directly. I gave you hearing, I gave you seeing, I gave you intelligence. How, How little is it that you give? Uh, thanks. So this is life. And then the next verse mentions death. So again, this whole story, the beginning of the creation, six stages of the creation, and then Adam, and then all of us, and then, say, the angel of death who has been assigned to you will take your soul. And then what will happen? Then Surat uh, Sajda goes on. There are two types of people and two fates. There is the mujrim and there is the mu'min. There is the mujrim, the criminal, the one who rejected Allah. And then there is the mu'min, the worshiper, the one who dedicated his life for the worship of Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala. As for the Mujrim, Allah Azza wa Jal says, if you could only see, they're hanging their heads in shame. And they're saying, we see now, we hear now that Absarna we know, oh Allah, that all of this is true. So let us go back one more time. We now have certainty that this is true. Let us give us one more chance. And Allah Azza wa Jal says, no, my statement has come. My qada and qadr, my decree has happened. Meaning that everyone shall only be given one chance. No one is given uh, two chances. And so Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Taala will not be uh, giving them their request. We don't want to be amongst those who are regretful and begging Allah for another chance. This is the mujrim. And notice the word mujrim, it actually translates as criminal. That's the word even in modern Arabic, you call a criminal a mujrim. Allah calls the one who rejects him a criminal, because there is nothing that is a greater sin than not contemplating over your purpose of life. There is no greater injustice than to take away the rights of Allah and ascribe them to yourself, which is your purpose of existence. So he is called a criminal because there is no crime greater than the crime of denying the existence of, or the servitude of the one who created you. So this is the mujrim. As for the opposite, the mu'min, what is their fate? So Allah describes the mu'min, who are they? They are those who would prostrate to their Lord constantly. There are those who tatajafaa junoobuhum alil madaji' This is that verse that is commonly quoted for al Tahajjud that their sides would be fighting and abandoning their beds their sides and their beds would be you know uh, be, uh, against one another meaning that their their bodies want to lie down but they're forcing their bodies to stand up and to pray to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala morning and evening and they are the people who are generous and again i've said this before and i'll say it again Allah azza wa Jal emphasizes salat al-tahajjud because the one who masters tahajjud can master all of the other salawat. It is not obligatory. If you're struggling with the five daily salat, start with those, no question, no problem there. But those that are wanting to get the higher suites of Jannah, those that really want the VIP access, then the only way to get that will be through salat al-tahajjud. And that's why Allah says with regards to those people, فَلَا تَعْلَمُ نَفْسٌ مَا أُخْفِيَ لَهُ مِنْ قُرَّةِ أَعْيُنٍ جَزَاءً بِمَا كَانُوا يَعْمَلُونَ no soul even knows what delightful things await them. No soul even knows the beautiful things that they will see as a reward for what they used to do. And then Allah Azza wa asks the rhetorical question, verse eighteen. Do you really think? the righteous and the unrighteous, the good and the evil, the pure and the wicked. Do you really think they're going to be the same? Never will they be equal. Dear Muslim, it's not It's not fair, Allah is saying. How can the righteous be treated the same as the wicked? How can the pious be treated the same as the impious? It wouldn't be right. So you decide which of these two camps do you want to be in and then act accordingly. And Allah Azza wa Jal also mentions in this series of verses that he is going to make us taste the lesser torment. This is a very, very uh, significant verse because we are currently undergoing a crisis and it explains to us why this crisis is happening. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that we will make them taste of the lesser punishment before the greater one. We will make them taste Al-A'thaab Al-Adna, Doona Al-A'thaab Al-Akbar. What is adab al adna dun al adab al akbar whats is al adna athaab al adna is the punishment that is right here and now, the closer punishment, not the greater punishment. What is the greater punishment? The greater punishment is the punishment of the hereafter. It is the punishment of hell itself. It is the punishment of the anger of Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala. So Allah is saying, We are going to make them taste of the lesser punishment and not the greater punishment so that they can return unto us. And this shows us that any calamity that happens, communally or individually, any musibah that happens, that harms us hurts us causes us pain or suffering or anxiety that there is a higher wisdom behind it and of the higher wisdom is that we channel that hurt or that depression or that sorrow and we channel it so that we reaffirm our spirituality with Allah so that we recommit to the worship of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so that we rediscover the ultimate joy, which is in the worship of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. What we are seeing now of this COVID crisis, there is no question as I have said that this is a type of communal punishment Anybody who denies this is not reading the Quran properly. But the communal punishment does not mean that individuals are guilty. It means a lot of individuals are guilty, yes, but it doesn't mean me and you are guilty. It means too many people have done too much wrong for too long and too publicly. That's what it means. And if you look at what the world has been doing of callousness and of whatnot, there is no question that uh, enough was enough and for how long would that have been tolerated? So Allah Azza wa is sending us a wake up call and Allah Azza wa is telling us, this is a worldly punishment. Make sure you save yourself from the real punishment. The worldly punishment does not mean every individual is guilty. Umm Salama asked the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, O Messenger of Allah, will we be destroyed and there are still righteous people amongst us? And the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said, yes, If evil is prevalent, if filth is predominant, so if evil and filth is predominant, then even if there are remnants of piety, a communal punishment can still come and the pious still remain pious and they shall die pious and thus shall be resurrected pious. It doesn't change the fact that evil was done too much, too long and too uh, publicly. And so this surah tells us about this reality of tasting the lesser torment prior to the greater torment, لَعَلَّهُمْ يَرْجِعُونَ so that uh, they can turn back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the surah, It concludes by reminding us that the people who reject Islam, the people who uh, are mocking this religion, they're always going to ask ridiculous questions. When will this, you know, uh, when will this uh, um, promise come? When will this day of judgment that you keep on talking about be? So those people are mocking that when will it happen? When will it happen? And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us that go and tell them. You you, you wait and they themselves will be waiting, turn away from them and let them wait and you too will be waiting. In other words, and this is a beautiful point here, that you know, those people who are asking you these types of sarcastic questions, making fun of the religion, sometimes the best way to deal with them is to say, look, let Allah decide our fate. Let's see who is right. These people are not gonna listen to me and you. And so tell them, Allah will decide our fate. You wait, I'm waiting, and when it comes, we will see who is right and who was wrong. So we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for his barakah. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for his blessings. We ask Allah azza wa jal for his maghfirah. We ask Allah azza wa jal to protect us and our loved ones. And also by the way, dear Muslims, uh, for those of you that are watching these, these episodes live, this is now the Last 10 nights going to begin upon us. And so make sure that we spend extra time with the Quran, with Ibadat. We will be blessed with one night in the next 10 nights that is more precious to us than an entire lifetime, more than 80 years. And so let us try to dedicate extra effort and make extra dua on these nights so that Allah Subhanahu wa Taala uh, blesses us and forgives us. Make dua for all of the Muslim Ummah. Make dua for your family and friends. Make dua for yourself. And of course, make dua for your teachers as well. Jazza اقم الله خيرا والسلام عليكم ورحمه الله وبركاته
0: شهر رمضان الذي انزل فيه القران دل الناس وبينات من الهدى والفرقان فمن شهد منكم الشهر فليصم